Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. As we were driving along, sometimes you hear interesting things on the radio. Um, and one of the things that struck me, this is a little while back, and I very vividly remember, I was driving on Fort Washington Way, and it was these two talking heads, and it was like an NPR, and they were talking about Sharia law. And Sharia law is, of course, the Islamic theology law that is, you know, they want to bring in force. And these talking heads were talking about the fact that these Islamic fundamentalists and these radicals, what they wanted was that they thought Sharia law should be implemented in every aspect of the life. They said the spiritual law should be applied on every aspect of your life. They said, can you believe that? I mean, as Christians, we don't believe that. I mean, you can go to church on Sunday, but that stuff doesn't apply to you the rest of the week. And I was sitting there going, I can't believe they're saying this because somewhere there's been a disconnect that you don't just go to church and, okay, that was your spirit time, now you go off. There is a degree of truth to what they were saying, which is God's law applies to our life 24-7, 365. Now, it just struck me that I'm sitting here hearing this, and there they go. Well, no, 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 that, that's, that's Sunday time. You can go there on Sunday, but, you know, we don't allow our beliefs to impact the rest of our lives. And I was just I'm glad I didn't hit that other car. <laughs> I was just so stunned. I was like, I can't believe they're saying this. And there's a couple of passages. Court's been in Luke. We've been reading through. I'm going to go back a little bit as kind of a, a backdrop. If you want to flip open to Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, it's kind of an introduction, and we'll start there. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? There's a story of the Good Samaritan that continues on here, down through 30, all the way to 37, where the expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him is the one who's actually his neighbor. And Jesus sums it up and says, Go. And do likewise. Go and do likewise. And what I want to do sometimes is just a little bit here is, is focus on the context a little bit. Um, had a professor who used to say, text without a context is a pretext. It means I got an agenda to drive if I don't have the full context. And as we've been working through Luke, we have a lot of context here, and I want to give you some background, some backdrop on it. Um, see, there's some, if we investigate this a little more on the practical side, living a loving life, and what does that mean? What does it mean to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? How do we do that on a daily basis? Um, as we drove into that, let's... Ask the Lord to guide us in that and to make our hearts open and receptive to it. Heavenly Father, we 
ask that you will guide us at this time. Help our hearts to hear and to understand your will and your word. And Lord, make us receptive to your Spirit's leading. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. See, sometimes if we look at living on a daily life, um, and as a side note, I'll tell you, you can read the extended version of the sermon. It's in James. It's kind of a side note of it. Because James was a retired pastor at the time he wrote that, or at least a very close to retiring pastor at the point where he wrote that. And with years of experience, he wrote James as a practical way of living. And without going into that extent of it, I want to focus on Jesus' words and focus on what does it mean to live this way. And if you back up with me, you understand that at the time of Jesus, and we look back and say, well, of course, you know, hindsight 2020, we, we can see it and say, you know what? Of course Jesus was wise. Of course, of course they would follow him. But at the time, they were questioning him. They didn't know who he was. He showed up, didn't go through their training classes, didn't get their, you know, special, you have to follow this course and then this course, and yet he still answered their questions. That's probably what drew the Pharisees out and the Sadducees and the different experts in the law, and they would question him. Do you know the answer to this? Well, what about this situation? How does it... And they repeatedly get blown away with an answer. And, and I think it's interesting that the Pharisees that asked the different questions, in Matthew 22, 34, it says this way. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, okay, this is regarding the resurrection of the dead, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. We haven't been able to deal with the Sadducees and, get, and, and answer their questions. Jesus just did it. Wow. That's amazing. Okay, he answered that question. Maybe we've got to ask him this question that we've been kind of dwelling on and digging on. You can see him kind of get together and powwow a little bit, and then come forward and say, excuse me, teacher, we have a question for you. Verse 36 says, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest. And he continues, all the law and the prophets hang on them. In Mark, it's recorded as, one of the teachers of the law came, heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked of them. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out, and sometimes we move past this too quickly, is that, well, it's Jesus. Of course he's giving a good answer. But if we're Jesus' representatives here on the planet at this time, and we claim to be followers of him, are we prepared to give a good answer? Are we being diligent in studying his word? So that when one of these seekers of the truth come to us and say, how do you serve God? How do you do this? Are they gonna are you ready to give a good answer for that? And even before that, are you one that they would look to to ask that question from in the first place? Those are some steps that we have to as I said, I want to give kind of a backdrop because we start with, oh, well it's Jesus. But let me just say, if you're 
follower of Christ, are you prepared to answer the questions? Are you prepared to live the way it needs to be? Are you doing that? Because those are prerequisites to be able to answer the question well. Now, just a side note, we, a lot of times we give Pharisees a bad rap. Right? Pharisees are the ones who, oh, they're the ones who are always questioning Jesus, right? They had to be the bad guys. But that's not necessarily true. A lot of them were actually very much interested in the truth. We will come across people like that in our lives. Some of them may be professors. Some of them may be very well educated. Some of them may not be, but they are seeking the truth. And making sure that we don't have roundabout questions, or I should say, they may come to us with roundabout questions. You ever had the person say, well, have you heard about X? It may be a court case. It may be a scenario that happened. So what do you think of that? They don't necessarily come to you when you're teaching Bible class and you're ready and you've got your notes in front of you and you're ready to go on this specific topic. They may come in and say, sitting around the lunch, hey, did you hear about the situation over on the west side of town where this was going on? What do you think about that? Do you just come up with an answer? Or do you realize that that might actually be an opportunity where a seeker for the truth is coming to you going, I'm not just trying to do small talk. I'd like to know more. I'd like to know more about this truth because I've seen something in your life that's different. And I can't just walk up to you in our society and say, Steve, can you tell me about what's changed your life? Right? We don't do that. But I might say, hey, Steve, what do you think about this? Keith, a question for you. Hey, did you guys hear about that? That's how we talk nowadays, isn't it? It's kind of a roundabout way to come to it. See, there's some of these people that sit back and watch are like, I think of Gamaliel in the Bible. Gamaliel is probably not preached on very often. And he's pointed out in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles were speaking. They were out raising a ruckus in a Jewish community talking about this man who was crucified and rose again and how you need to repent and follow him and believe in him. And they brought him before the high priest. The whole group of leaders were just furious. In chapter, 30, in chapter 5, verse 34 through 39, says this, But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin in order that the men be put outside for a while. Put these guys out. Just let's, let's talk amongst ourselves for a minute here, okay? Before we go off and do anything rash, let's talk. Then he addressed them. He said, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thudius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He, too, was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. 
For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. I thought it was very interesting. Here's a recognized Pharisee in the Sanhedrin who knows enough of God's principles and has seen enough in life to go, you're not going to fight him and win. You better pick your battle here because if these guys are really his servants, don't stand against them. That little, I will say, prophesying by Gamaliel is correct. Couldn't be stopped. Look at the number of Christians around the world today. These men could not be stopped. They were dispersed, they were beaten, they were chased. And every time one of them was martyred, as they say, up from the blood, to bring many more Christians. Now, I say that because it's a point of discernment. And a level of discernment is essential in our lives, especially if we're going to practically love God. Gamaliel was watching these folks. He's watching these followers of the way, as they were called. Much as do our colleagues, our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, are watching. Is this really something of God? Or is this just something that they're doing? Are they just playing and they, oh, that's nice. They go to church, they dress up and off they go. Or is it something that really affects every aspect of their life and has an actual change? Now, what evidence do you display? We talk about the fruits of the Spirit, you know, as evidence of it. Do we show love? Do people ever call you a do-gooder? Either in jest or derogatorily? I'll get him to do it. He'll do it. You know, get Mikey to try it. He'll try it, right? He tries anything. Get him to do it. He's a good guy. He'll do it. Are you recognized as that? Now, a lot of people in this world have a lot of do-gooding ideas out there. In fact, if you Google charities and different things, there's like 35 million different charities out there. Okay? There's also thousands of organizations to tell you about those other organizations of whether they're doing the right thing with the money or not doing the right thing. And Then there's organizations to tell you about those because it's too many to read and really stay up on. Which is, it's one of those things where how do we get involved in doing good because at some level you look at it and go, this is just overwhelming. Now, in bowling, we have the, the gutter protectors on the side, right? You get up there and it, I love those little gutter protectors. Makes for, they call it family friendly. I think that's because nobody gets all upset then, right? Family friendly, you can go up and it'll bounce off the gutters and get down to the end. Hopefully the ball gets to the end. Um, but it, it gets down there and it's, it's a great time. But those gutter protectors are kind of like principles that God lays out for us. They're principles that we can follow, especially if you look at like two verses, Matthew 10, 16 and 26, 11. 10.16 says this. It says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. 
We use that kind of as the right hand. That's, that's our, you know, you're supposed to pay attention here. Not to be harmful, but you need to be asking questions. This isn't just sending your money off to, oh, some organization asked for this. You need to be checking them out before you send your money because you're sending God's money off. And are you being a good steward with that? Wise as serpents. 26.11 says, The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And in context, this is a, question, this is a statement of Jesus when somebody poured out on him and gave him a blessing. And it's not an excuse to build gold temples. Don't get me wrong. I won't say crystal cathedrals. It's, but it's, it's, not exa- it's not an excuse for us to say, Oh, well, we need to gild the church. That's not what it's about. But he does say you are going to have poor people around. You need to reach out to them. Ongoing, continually. But do it wisely. Balancing those two pieces, like I said, like on the gutter, to get the ball to the other end to actually strike some pins, we don't want to go into the gutters. We've got to stay up top and use those principles and guidelines. Now, something that we have to look at is this responsibility that falls to us. And one of the ways I like to look at it is there's an expression I heard that said, you cannot help humanity without helping a human. And I think a lot of times when we have these charities that are out there, it's easy for us to just maybe write a check and send some money off rather than actually get involved with the charitable person and a charitable action. Dobson always makes the comment that dealing with humans is one of the messiest things you can do because, you know, it's never clean cut, is it? It's always a, a 2 a.m. call at some point, or there's, there's a call, I need this, or what about that? And There's more to it. But that's what we're called to do, is to be involved in that. Because we are messy people. Now, there's a balancing action, and there's an enabling factor, and I want to talk about that, to do this work in somebody's life and to take on helping someone. It's exemplified in 1 John chapter 3, 10 through 23. I'm going to read part of it here. It says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The outworking of love now. As John continues, he says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's a pretty high standard. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, How does the love of God abide in him? 
My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now, to me, that's one of those easy verses to memorize. You go back to the John you know, three, in 23, right there. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. You know, there's a good answer. Ready? When we're ready to call for it, when we're called on to give it. Now, many of us are familiar with the passage where it talks about if you have food... And somebody says, oh, well, I'm, we don't have any food. We're starving. Oh, well, let me pray for you. Not a problem. Uh, that's not the standard, is it? It's to reach out and give the food. It's to make sure that we're helping someone at a person-to-person level. Now, what assures our hearts of doing in this passage? It says, and by this we know that we are of the truth. And shall assure our hearts. What assures us of that? It's by deeds and truth. By deed and in truth. Verse 18. Let us not love in word or tongue. That's what the talking heads were talking about, isn't it? Oh, you can go to Sunday school and the church, that's fine. But it doesn't actually impact the rest of our lives. Isn't it interesting that Sharia law touches on a truth that we should be living. I find that fascinating. The devil's very good about taking what's supposed to be our truth and twisting it. We need to make sure that we're grasping our truth and not letting the world set the standard or the world tell us how we should be living. This is what tells us how to live. And the more we're in it, the more it gets in us. Now, John states this as we are supposed to be practicing righteousness. Similar to Jesus, or similar to James, he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. It assures us. It's a natural outgrowth. We are to practice righteousness. Now, I always concern that because, you know, there's a difference between a practice, you know, and the expert. Sorry, John, it's about the doctors. I'm always concerned because they always have a practice. I always think, are you practicing on me or are you an expert at this point? And I'm just glad it's their best and brightest that are, are doctors. I will say that. But our neighbors don't have that luxury with us, do they? They have us as we are, practicing righteousness. Sometimes that means practicing it right. Sometimes that means messing it up royally. And Court had mentioned something, and a lot of times they'll see us dress up and go off to church or they see us do different things. Do they see us come back and humble ourselves and confess or apologize? 
Because the world doesn't do that. Is there so much emphasis on us that we can't do that? Because I can tell you in the times that I've done it, the results are amazing. Uh, 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 uh. People start backing off. Yeah, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know what? I was wrong. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Those kind of words have power that is amazing. They have power to eliminate grudges, hurts, pains, walls that have been built up for years. It's amazing. It's God's battering ram when we use those words. Now, the next part of it, though, is are we ready to live those examples out? Because part of what I see, and it's a phrase I grew up with, um, is somebody who's so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You ever heard of them? That's why I used to think of the Pharisees. In fact, Christ references them and says, you know, you put all these burdens on people, but you won't even lift a finger to help them. Are we perceived that way, or are we perceived as somebody that our coworkers and friends come up to and say, hey, so what do you think about this? You know, they're not going to necessarily come and say, would you mind opening the Bible and telling me what God would recommend in this? But they might share with you a situation from a family member to a friend. Sometimes I'm thick. I have a, one of our coworkers, she'll tell me some stuff, and I have to, oh, yeah, okay, sorry, God, this is an opportunity to, she's telling me because she really does want a suggestion. Sometimes it's a long story to get to that suggestion. But then she'll stop at some point and she says, so what do you think? What should I do? Okay. And I have to stop myself from being too busy to go do it. i got to go off and go to her. She's dealing with family. And she really needs to know. Do we take the time to really invest in people? Now, there's a question of duty versus drive is the way I look at it. Why are you doing this? Do you come to Sunday school and church and prayer time and those things for something other? Or do you do it because you love God? If you truly loving God, that's a great step. That's, that's how it starts. But I don't want you to think that you're doing it on your own, own, own work. It's not just you. That's the beauty of it, is God gives us strength. Even when he tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he gives us strength to do it. Now, that to me is absolutely amazing. Um, Because he gives us the very strength to continue practicing the righteousness which we need to practice. And the reason you practice it, it's kind of like muscle memory. We do karate and you practice the same moves over and over and over, right? Every time you're doing it for practice, what do you have to do? Do your moves over and you practice. At some point, something happens and something flies at you and you, oh, I didn't even realize I was, my muscles just, I responded. And there's a degree to which we can do that as we start practicing righteousness. 
that we respond that way automatically. We will actually respond in kindness, in goodness, in the fruits of the Spirit, because we've been practicing that righteousness. In fact, it can happen so much that so in Matthew 25, 37 to 40, it says this, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. When practicing righteousness because some, a, we call it a muscle memory, but a spiritual memory, that you are doing it, you don't even recognize you're doing it anymore. That's where we want to get to. That's where the sheep are, and the story of the sheep and the goats, and Jesus is telling this. The sheep didn't even realize they were doing it at that, that point. But they're following what their master said. They're following the good shepherd. How is your muscle memory? Time, thoughts, work, play, even loving, the happy heart. Do we do these things that way? Second Corinthians 9, 7 talks about God loves a cheerful giver. The passage 6 through 8 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, Here's the part to listen to. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Who gives us the strength? God does. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about tithing here. I'm not talking about the cheerful giving. Oh, we've got to pass the plate. What I'm talking about is, as I said earlier, are you pouring into each other? Are you pouring into somebody? Because the number of times I could think of just offhand that I've seen in this church where people have done that to one another is mind-boggling. Sometimes anonymously, sometimes person to person, but it's part of what strengthens each other. It's part of how we show God's love to one another. And it is truly rewarding. I've been on both sides of it. I've seen it. I've seen the benefits all the way around. And let me tell you, it's amazing how an hour given, a dollar given, the benefits reward way more on that. It's a multiplication of love. Those dollars, those hours, they multiply. How is it that we are strengthened and lift it up on eagle's wings? It's real simple. You help one another. Dobson pointed out one time, he says, you know, there's, there's, there's some dangerous things to do. The second most dangerous thing is not to love people. The most dangerous thing is to love people. But in so doing, you grow and you multiply love. And that will strengthen you more than anything else. Now, the primary example of this, of course, is the early church. We focused on that quite a bit. 
But I don't want to just overlook, oh, this is how the church is working, because I want to focus on that enabling piece. Because one of the things that we need to focus on is just when we're helping somebody, make sure that the glory does go to God. Make sure that we point it to God. See, that is what our job down here is, is to point that glory to God. Now, as you give your time, your thoughts, your work, play, love, compare that with loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you look at it, and there's a flow that's there. There's a flow of eternal life. It comes out of the heart. And I'll tell you, conversely, in a cautionary statement, there's also a flow to death. And there's a flow to death that we can follow, which is in James 1, 14, 15. It says this, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Just as much as you can give and serve God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you can also, by giving into those desires, give in to death. It's a question of who you're going to serve. There is a pattern, and it begins in the heart. Jeremiah tells us it's deceitful and wicked. God can regenerate it. It is only through the strength of his son that it is regenerated. But it takes work and it takes practice. Now, just in general, who here has been through surgery? Okay. Was the physical therapy afterwards, was that fun? It was a cakewalk, wasn't it? Actually, don't they love it? A friend of mine worked at the Pain Care Institute where they did physical therapy. I thought, oh, what a joyous place to go into every day, the pain care. And they used to pick on him about it. And it's not simple and it's not easy to go through that therapy. How much more so is it for our spiritual therapy? If you're getting a heart transplant, a spiritual heart transplant. Do you just pop up the next day? Okay, let's go. It's not that simple, is it? It's an ongoing struggle. It's an ongoing battle. And that spiritual therapy is there to strengthen us. And we fail. We fail in these in many ways. And I think of example of Peter stepped out on the water. And what did he do? Once he got out there, he looked around and went, I'm walking on water. I can't do this. Down he goes. The song from Casting Crowns, the waves are calling out my name and they laugh at me. Reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed. And those are words that hit us because they're what Satan has done to us time and again. And those are things that we have to deal with on a daily basis, a moment-by-moment basis, when we're failing. And remember that it's not in our strength. Because when we try to do it in our strength, we do like Peter, we drown. We have to listen to him. We have to listen to that voice of truth that's out there. And at those times when you're failing and you're falling under, 
whether it's helping someone or by yourself, think of the words in Mark chapter 9. The disciples couldn't cast the demon out of the man's son. And he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us. I can imagine Jesus' expression at that point. He looked at him and he says, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I believe Help me overcome my unbelief. So too we must claim to believe and recognize the if you cans in our life. Those times we look at, well, if you can do anything, if you can. There's a lot of times Jesus answers us that same expression, if you can. You're asking me if I can do this? I'm the one who made the planet out of nothing and you're asking if I can I encourage you to call out to God when you're going through those struggling times as you're practicing as you're working through the spiritual transplant and it's not going to be easy it is work but the strength comes from God as long as you call on him to give you the strength And if you don't know him and you don't know that strength, I encourage you today to come and meet Jesus because there is nobody who can make you walk on water like him. There's nobody who can reward you like him. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we thank you for your encouragement. Heavenly Father, we call out to you many times as we gurgle beneath the waves. Lord, we look to you. We ask you for the strength to stand. Lord, sometimes we ask you for the strength to kneel and to pray, to lift up our brothers and sisters. And Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us And open our eyes to our brothers and sisters who need assistance. Open our ears that we will actually hear and show us a way to help. Lord, we ask for your strength in all of this. And we praise your name for it. Amen.